Well, good morning, Mountaintop Church. I am honored to be here. I was here a little over a year ago. I got to be a part of a worship night that took place on a Wednesday night. And I got to meet the staff here and the leaders here and some of this community. And let me say this for anyone who's here for the first time, you have come into a really special place. And I hope that you not only dig into all the things that are happening here at Mountaintop, but I hope that you come back next week that you get to meet Carter, the lead pastor here, and that you get to meet more of the team because this truly is a really, really special place and I'm honored to be able to stand here and spend this morning with you. <clears throat> I wanted to start off by just asking a question, quick show of hands, has anyone here ever done anything dumb? Yes, wow, then the room lights up. Okay, so you can put your hands down, good, it's not just me. The list seems to get longer and longer the older I get. I can remember one of the first really, truly dumb things that I did. I was probably four, five, probably five years old. My next door neighbor got the first go-kart of the neighborhood and they were zipping it up and down. Y'all are already thinking of your own go-kart stories. Zipping it up and down the neighborhood all morning long. And then I think it was about lunchtime, they bring it back into the driveway. And all the dads are, you know, checking it out. And all the kids are like, me next. And I remember five-year-old James was looking at that go-kart thinking, I wonder how hot that engine is. And as I listened to my skin sizzling on top of it, two things became immediately clear. One, the answer was very very hot was the answer. And two was, I need to remove my hand as quickly as possible. Now, there is a lifelong lesson that I learned in that moment. Maybe you've learned this lesson as well, that nothing clarifies like pain. Pain can be absurdly clarifying. Yes, it's very hot. Yes, I need to do something about it right now. Nothing clarifies like pain. That's true for physical pain. It's also true for emotional pain. That when we hit emotional turmoil, all of a sudden things can become really clear. I want to introduce you. Carter mentioned them. This is my family. This is my wife, uh, Lindsay, my daughter. They're coming up real soon, I, I promise. We're just going to, oh, they're right here. I'm new. I'm new around here. So this is my, uh, it's my wife, Lindsay, my four-year-old daughter, Joanna, my one-year-old son, Cooper. When Joanna was born, she couldn't breathe properly and the doctors weren't sure why. She spent three weeks in the NICU from the first part of that week. For the first part of the first week, she was on 100% oxygen and the doctors were going, we're gonna figure this out, but we don't know what's going on. My son, Cooper, when he was nine days old, he was diagnosed with COVID. And he was the youngest COVID patient at Vanderbilt Hospital. Not really a record that we wanted to hold. Um, but when those moments took place, by the way, they're fine, they're here, they're the loudest kids in this building. I promise you the doctors did a great job repairing their lungs. <laughs> Too good of a job. Um, but when, when our kids are sick, and for those of you who are parents, you know this, when, when you feel the pain of seeing your child sick and in danger, it's very clarifying, nothing else in the world matters. If you were watching a professional football last Sunday, we experienced this as a country who was watching the Bills and Bengals game when DeMar Hamlin, Hamlin, Hamlin? That's it. By the way, I don't watch a whole lot of pro football. If you guess. But I was watching um, that game, or was watching the aftermath of that game when a professional athlete drops to his back and needs CPR to save his life because of a cardiac event. It didn't matter that the Bills and the Bengals were playing for the number one seed in the AFC. If you don't watch pro football, all that means is that it was, it was an important game. But in that moment, it didn't matter. There wasn't a player or coach or staff member that cared about that game. They cared about the life of that young man on that field. There was something incredibly clarifying about pain. But ironically and interestingly, there's also nothing that confuses like pain. 
in different scenarios, like have you ever been in so much physical pain that you can't think straight? Or so much emotional turmoil that you don't know what day of the week it is? Have you been in such spiritual pain that you think I can hear all the good news in the world, but I don't think any of that is for me? It seems to be the case that sometimes there's nothing that clarifies like pain and there is nothing that in other times confuses like pain. So why does it seem to go one direction sometimes and why does it seem to go in other directions other times? I wanna share with you something that I'm learning and maybe we can work it out together. At least at this point in the 34 years of life that I've experienced, here's what I've learned about pain. And that's this, that pain clarifies what is most important, it does, but it clarifies what's most important when we've spent adequate time in what is most true. Mountaintop, you have an amazing pastor who's a very good preacher and he could take this sentence and make it rhyme and put alliteration into it and make it sound really cool and not as clunky as this is. So Carter, when you see this, please help me with my sermon writing. But this is what we have for this morning, that pain, pain clarifies what's most important when we've spent adequate time in what's most true. And I've gotten myself in the most trouble when pain has hit me and I wasn't ready for it. I wanna give you uh, one more story of a time that pain both brought clarity and confusion at the exact same time. So when I was in ninth grade, I was dating this girl. That's the younger version of my wife. We've been together, there's like Adam and Eve and then James and Lindsay. That's the story of, of history. So we did this overnight trip with our church where we went to, it was like a camping night where there was fishing, there was this, I don't know, it was too big to be called a pond, too small to be, call, be called a lake. There was all sorts of activities. There was very little adult supervision. What I mean by that was there was a, no adult supervision. I think the youth pastor went to go fish or something. Either way, it was like the middle of the night. Um, no one was really saying, hey, that's a good idea or that's a bad idea. And I thought to myself, I know how I'm gonna look cool in front of my new, well, sort of new girlfriend. By the way, cool is not a word that is often used to describe James. So here's a big step forward into the land of cool. There was a rowboat and I thought, Lindsay and I, I'm gonna, we're gonna go get in the rowboat together. We're gonna invite another couple and we'll row across this pond lake underneath the stars and I'll look really cool doing the whole thing. So Lindsay and I get into the rowboat. This other couple gets into the rowboat. And if you've ever rowed before or if you have ever seen a rowboat, you know that you make, let's see, is it? It's this motion, and then the boat goes. And the more that you do it, the more the boat goes. Well, we got into the boat, and I did the rowing motion, and the boat did this. I thought, well, that's interesting. That's not how I thought that would go. I made sure that we were pushed off away from the shore. I put the oars down. If I pushed the oars all the way down, I could feel the bottom of this body of water, but we were floating but I didn't want to admit that I don't know how to row a boat. So I just kept on pressing and pressing. And then eventually we're quarter way through this body of water and they were halfway through it. And I'm starting to sweat and I'm starting to be out of breath. And I am very confused as to why physics doesn't seem to apply to this particular boat. There's a lot of confusion, but it was also very clear that I was going to get across this body of water. I was going to make this girl laugh and I was gonna pretend like this was totally normal. This is just how boats work. Y'all, it probably took us an hour to go 50 yards across this body of water. Don't laugh at that. And you know what happened when we got to the other side? You know what I realized? There was nothing over there. So we got back in the boat and it was just another, I was even putting the oars like at the bottom, getting them down there and just kind of pushing the boat and pushing the boat. We eventually wound up on the other side and I was exhausted and in pain and sore. I remember falling asleep next to the fire that night in the open air, feeling accomplished and confused. Pain had brought clarity and confusion in that same night. And sometimes pain will do that. It will bring clarity 
And sometimes it will bring confusion. And there's a reason why I'm talking about these silly stories of, of pain. I don't have a crystal ball, but I have a good hunch that coming down the pike for you and me in 2023 is joy and blessing and beauty that we don't even see coming that is barreling towards us. I also have a pretty good hunch that there is despair and there is sorrow and there is sadness that is barreling towards us right now. Because 2023 is like every other year. In 2023, we are going to be met with the totality of life. It will knock on our door. And the question is, when the difficult days knock on our door, what will we be standing on? Will the pain that knocks on our door this year, will it bring confusion because we had spent our time trying to figure out how to row these boats that don't move? Or will they bring clarity because we know what is most true? And if it's true that pain clarifies what's most important when we've spent adequate time in what's most true, then how do we spend time in what is most true? Or maybe a better question is, what's most true? This idea of what's most important, what's most true, what is, what is resolute regardless of circumstance is not a new question. Since the beginning of time, people have been asking this. Since the beginning of the Christian movement, people have been asking this, which was important because at the beginning of the Christian movement, there was a lot of pain. I mean, the idea, just the idea that there was a good God who looked at a broken people whose sin had separated them from him and said, you know what? I'm gonna step into that world. I'm gonna show them what a perfect life looks like. And when they reject me and when they execute me, I will allow that execution on a cross to be the payment for their sin so I could reunite myself with them. And then not only that, the message that Jesus three days later resurrected from the dead, not only to show that he had power over sin and death, but to invite all of his followers to experience their own resurrection was a wild story that leveled the playing field in an ancient world that was all about hierarchy. The Christian movement was saying, no, no, there's no longer any Jew or Gentile. There's no powerful or weak. There's no slave or free. We are all equally broken but equally distributed grace by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, the political powers of the ancient world did not like how equally that grace was distributed. And there were prisons and there were persecutions that took place in order to stop that movement. There was external pressure, but there was also internal pain because there was a lot of arguments on what did Jesus actually say? And what did he actually want? And what does a follower of Jesus actually look like? There's external pain and internal pain. And that was taking place across early Christianity, including in this city called Ephesus, which was an epicenter of the ancient world. It was an epicenter of trade, commerce, and culture. All sorts of people were coming to see what was going on in Ephesus and to make a living there. And at the beginning of Christianity, a man named Paul came into Ephesus and taught the story of what Jesus did and that everybody in Ephesus could be invited into the story as well where they could experience the same redemption and grace and experience a life that wasn't like anything that they had ever experienced or heard of before. Well, Paul spends two and a half years building this church at Ephesus, this really cool, diverse, kind of ragtag group of people who were united not by their similarities, but united by Jesus. He builds this church and then he leaves to go continue his missions. And he eventually gets imprisoned in a Roman prison because there's external pressures trying to stop the movement. But within a Roman prison, Paul writes a letter back to um, Ephesus. 
And he does this for two reasons. If you read the, the, the letter of Ephesians, it's, it's clearly two sections. The first section is reminding them the gospel that he taught them when he first went there and reminding them their place in that gospel. And in the second half, he lets them know, he reminds them that they have a story to tell within that gospel, that they have a role to play. It's not just about receiving the gospel of Jesus. It's then about living in the gospel of Jesus. So from the pain of prison, Paul reminds the Ephesians what is most important, reminding them that whatever pain is coming their way, whatever good is coming their way, whatever circumstances are coming their way, these are the things that are most true. So I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. This is what Paul says is most important. He says, in him being Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Two things. What's clear is that is beautiful. What's confusing is, what, what was that about? What was he saying? This is my favorite translation of the Bible. This is the NIV, the New International Version. It's a sentence-by-sentence translation of the original um, Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. But sometimes it's so beautifully poetic, I go, I'm not sure what that meant. The good thing is, if you ever run across that in a translation that you're reading, we have tools. One of those tools that I like to use is the message. It's not a sentence-by-sentence -sentence translation. It's more like a paragraph-by-paragraph -paragraph summary. What you can do sometimes is take something like the NIV, it feels confusing at any point, and you can hop over to a tool like the message, read the summary as if it was written in 2023, and then go back to the NIV and go, oh, I see it. So I want to read you the same passage um, as it's written in the message. All right, this is, this is incredible. This is, again, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1, starting in verse 7. Paul says, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the cross, on the altar of the cross, we are a free people. Can we say free people together? We are a Free people. This is good. This is good. Free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds. And not only, not just barely free either. Let's say this together. Let's say it with some gusto. Let's say it. One, two, three. Abundantly free. Ooh, that was good, mountaintop. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set out before us in Christ a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in the deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. This is a wild idea that Paul begins with saying, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah. And everything that he's about to write in the next six chapters of Ephesians hangs on that phrase. It's not because of the Christian movement. It's not because you've done a really good job building a church. It's not because of... Jesus the prophet. It's not because of Jesus the teacher. Paul says because Jesus the Messiah who was sacrificed, everything that I'm about to say has meaning. And what he says is, you and I, because of our sin, are deserving of death. But because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, that's not where the story went. Instead, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, you are, anybody remember what it was? Free. 
But it gets better than that. You're not just free, you're abundantly free. And it gets better than that, that you're not abundantly free just for freedom's sake, but you have been invited into a long range plan, a story where God is not only writing your redemption story, but the redemption story of the entire world. And you have been invited into that story because of the sacrifice of the Messiah. From the pain of prison, Paul is reminding that these are the most important things for the church in Ephesus and possibly the church of the United States today. And then he says this next thing in verses 11 and 12, which I think might be one of the coolest passages in all of the New Testament. He says this, Paul says, it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. I've told some stories already today. I'm gonna tell a couple of more. You might be here simply for that. And you can forget everything I've said and you can forget everything I'm gonna say. Maybe what you need to know is this, that it is not in your past, it's not in your hopes for a future. It's not in the way that you build your career. And it's not in your mistakes. It is in Christ that we find out that you find out who you are and what you're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, this is incredible. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and in everyone. I don't know if you've ever thought about this idea, but what Paul just said is that before you were even able to put the word together, Jesus, God had his eye on you and says, I have something really good for you. And it's not just get enough education to have enough jobs, to accrue enough debt, to pay it off, to eventually retire, and then one day pass away. He said, no, I have something better for you, a purpose that includes your redemption, and the redemption of the world. And before you knew who I was, I had this plan for you. You have a purpose that is not dependent on pain or circumstance. It's not dictated by the things that are surrounding this. You were rescued from the brokenness of humanity. You were rescued from sin, not just to avoid God's wrath, but to participate in a purpose that he placed on your life. And this purpose will supersede anything else that happens in our life. That as followers of Jesus, we don't have to be defined by our circumstances. We don't have to be defined by our titles or even our positions. I think it's really interesting that in the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul doesn't talk about the body of Christ. If you're familiar with some of other Paul's writings, he, he goes into detail in some other, other of his letters of, about this idea that we all are equal, even though we have different skill sets, we have different jobs in the body of Christ. But he doesn't talk about that here. He talks about the purpose that every person who is a follower of Jesus gets to experience. And that purpose supersedes everything else in our life. Mountaintop, you have your own way of saying this, that you say that Mountaintop is here to invite and equip people to follow Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that when you commit your life to inviting and equipping people to follow Jesus. You're not just fulfilling a mission statement that looks good on a letterhead and that you could write up on a wall. You are living out the purpose that God himself placed on your life. And you are inviting other people to recognize that that same purpose has been placed on their life as well. That regardless what position, title, or circumstance they may come across, the God who created the moon and dug out the oceans, built up the mountains and said, let there be light is the same God that looked at you and looked at them and said, I have a purpose for you that may be bigger than you have ever imagined. Because Jesus looks at you as his child and says, I have a purpose for you. And we can spend the beginning of 2023 spinning our wheels, trying to figure out how do I get a better position? How do I get a better title? How do I make my life a little bit more comfortable? And those might be good things to do. 
but only under the context of the purpose that Jesus has placed on your life. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I think your position matters. In fact, I hope through hard work and effort, you are the best in your field. I just pray that you're better at pursuing Jesus. I hope that Birmingham is the most coveted place to live in the entirety of the United States. And I hope that the people who live here covet time spent with the Holy Spirit more than anything. I hope and I pray that Mountaintop would be the most significant church this generation has ever seen. And people never talk about Mountaintop. They only talk about how they experienced a freedom that was for them, that brought them a purpose where they got to be redeemed and then see stories of redemption in their community and across the world. Paul says it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. And if we place anything above this in 2023, mountaintop, then we might be heading towards unnecessary pain or maybe confusion when the pain comes. But the beauty is that our Lord, our Savior, and our Creator says, I can be at the top of your list and I can give you the purpose that you've always always longed for. For it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. You know, I told you that story about the boat that wouldn't row. Um, Not because it's a great story of how clarity and confusion happened at the same time. I really told you that story because of what happened the next day. Um, The next day, something took place that kind of burned an image in my mind that has become a metaphor that I go back to often. When pain hits my world, when confusion hits my world, when I start to feel disoriented as to what my purpose is, I often think about what happened the next morning because it works as such a clear metaphor for the purpose that I believe God has put on my life. And maybe it's similar to the purpose that God has placed on your life. So the next morning I woke up uh, with dew on my face because I had slept outside next to that campfire, which was now just smoldering embers. I woke up to the sound of laughter and splashing because everyone else had woken up and gone swimming out in the water. I was the last one to wake up because apparently I had exhausted myself the night before. And um, as I started to push myself off the ground, my back was on fire and my shoulders were in agony. I remember looking at my hands and they were torn to shreds because of the wooden oars that I had been rowing. I made my way over towards um, the, well, the pond. Now that I could see it in daylight, it was quite obviously a pond filled with pond scum and everyone was just swimming in it. I made my way out to the water to go join everybody. And while I was on my way towards the water, I saw the boat. And I was very frustrated at it. I wanted to kind of buck at it like I was going to fight it, which was a bad idea because I'd obviously lost the fight the night before. And as I walked up next to the boat, in the, in the morning light, I saw something that I hadn't seen the night before. Coming out over the side of the interior of that boat, I noticed a rope. Now, the other rope was, the other end of the rope was in the water. So curiosity, you know, got the best of me. And I thought, well, I want to see what's on the other end of that rope. But you know, you know what was on the other end of that rope. Out of that muddy and murky pond water, I pulled up an anchor, an anchor, an anchor. Do you see, can you see it over here? 
an anchor. You know why the boat wouldn't move? You know why I spent an hour going in one direction while my back was in pain, while my hands were torn to shreds? Because I, all night long, had been rowing around an anchor, an anchor. By the way, for any of you young folks in here, before you ever row a boat, pull up the anchor. Boats were not meant to work with the anchor down. And all night long, I was rowing and rowing and rowing. I promise you, had I seen the rope, I would have pulled up the anchor. I promise you, if anyone else would have seen the rope, they would have said, James, dummy, the anchor's down. But nobody saw it. And all night long, I went through the pain of rowing a boat with the anchor down. Now, listen, pain is a part of life. We can't avoid it. But not all pain is necessary. And I had suffered a significant amount of emotional pain and physical pain because I had rowed this boat all night long with the anchor down. And this is what I think about often. When I think about the purpose that Jesus has placed on, on our lives, I'm burdened by the idea and the reality that Jesus has come to set us free. And yet we often settle for the anchor of sin and guilt and shame, and we drag them around throughout our lives, like rowing a boat with the anchor down. And we tell ourselves this lie, I guess this is just the way that it is. And we push and we push, pretending like that Jesus has not already lived and died and resurrected to remove the anchors from our life so that we could be set free and abundantly free to replace those, those anchors of sin and regret with the purpose that he's placed on our lives. Y'all, I'm burdened by the idea that we as Christians, let me speak to the Christians in this room, that we as Christians often will do a good job of giving Jesus some of our anchors, but some of them are really, really deep and we're really scared to pull them up. So we've given Jesus most of the anchors of our sin and our brokenness, but we hang on to a couple and we just keep on rowing saying, I guess this is just the way that it is. I'm burned by the reality that there is a world outside of these walls who thinks that it's still dark, not realizing that the sun has come into our world to show us our brokenness and say, I can take the brokenness that you're dragging it around offer you forgiveness and replace it with purpose. I'm burdened by the idea that we wouldn't step into other people's boats, not with all the solutions, but with a story that says, I used to struggle with these anchors as well, but I met a savior who set me free from them. I'd like to introduce you to them. I am burdened by the idea that we would be anything less than what Paul is encouraging the Ephesians to do. That we would be anything less than a multicultural, multi-ethnic, diverse group of people who are unified in Christ with the same purpose of experiencing redemption in ourselves and seeing redemption play out all across the world. I'm burdened by the idea that we would drag around anchors that Jesus already died for. So I wanna begin 2023 not with just the things that I could get better at. I wanna begin 2023 by saying, Jesus, what is the purpose you've placed on my life, on my family's life, on my community, on my church's life? And what does it look like to step, take a step towards that? And if it means doing the scary thing and saying, yes, I never dealt with this anchor, Jesus, will you help set me free from it? then that's where I would rather start because that begins with my purpose, not the positions that I might hold this year. So what if that was our prayer? What if our prayer was we ask Jesus to remind us of our purpose above all things, a purpose that will not be defined by pain or beauty or position or circumstance, but will be defined by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you want to take a step in that direction, there's three sentences I want to share with you. They're the same sentences that I shared with you when I was here a year ago. If I'm back next year, I'm probably going to share the same ones again. If it's true that pain clarifies what's most important when we've spent adequate time in what's most true, you know, the thing that, that's most true is the gospel of Jesus. And if you want to spend time there, then you pick a time 
you pick a place and you pick a plan. You say every morning, I'm gonna go to my dining room table and I'm gonna read one chapter of scripture. Or every morning, I'm gonna sit by my bedside and I'm gonna listen to worship music and let those be my prayers. Or every morning, I'm gonna go for a small walk and I'm gonna call my prayer partner and we're gonna pray for each other throughout the day. We're gonna pick a time, we're gonna pick a place, we're gonna pick a plan, and we're going to invest in the thing that is most important and most true. So when pain knocks on our door, we can say, I was expecting you. And I want you to know that although you are real, you do not get to define me in this moment. Maybe it begins by saying at the beginning of my day before preparing for the positions that I hold, I'm gonna prepare and be reminded about the purpose that has been placed on my life. Because you're not just a mother or a father. You're a mom and you're a dad who has a significant influence on the direction of your children's faith. You're not just a boss. You're a mentor who gets to teach the next generation that you can be excellent at what you do as it, as it pushes towards a purpose that is bigger and better than anything that you could find simply in business. That you could begin your mornings being reminded by, yes, you are broken, and yes, you are hurt, and yes, the pain that you are going through is real, but above all things, you're a son or you're a daughter of the King of Kings who is loved unconditionally, and that will never change. What if we began our days starting first with our purpose? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the band uh, to come up. I'm gonna share one short story, and then, then, I'll, be, then I'll be through. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. I've seen this played out uh, with someone very close to me. I work on a relatively small staff. Uh, there's five people, including me, at Cross Point Dixon. One of our staff members is named uh, Nikki. She oversees all of our hospitality and things throughout the building. In 2019, Nikki was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer and immediately went into um, chemotherapy and, and radiation. Um, she, went into, uh, she went into remission in mid-2020, and a little over six months ago, her and her husband came to my house and said, hey, the cancer's back and it's, and it's in my bones. Now, I, don't, I hesitate to tell this story because it's a pain that I, just, I don't understand because I have not stood in her shoes. However, the reason why I tell it is because about mid-2020, when Nikki was finishing her uh, last few rounds of radiation, um, her doctor paused at the end of one of their meetings. And she said, Nikki, I don't mean to pry, but how have you been able to handle what you've walked through with the grace that you have? Because the, the grace that you display is different than, than nearly every patient, every other patient I have. And in that moment, Nikki didn't feel the pressure of quoting scripture or giving a long testimony. She also didn't hem or haw. She just immediately said what was true. And she said, it's, it's Jesus. She said, if I've, if I've done this with any amount of grace, it's Jesus. And her doctor said, do you mind if, if I give a, a couple of phone numbers for my other patients to you? Because I think they need what you seem to have. Now, there is a pain that Nikki's walking through, like I said, that I, I dare not pretend to understand. But what I know is that there is a purpose on Nikki's life that is greater than the cancer in her bones. And that comes from the King of Kings. And what if we chose to make 2023 a year for the books? A year where we didn't just go to church and go to work and do our thing. What if we stepped back and said, Jesus, is there a purpose greater than I even see at this moment? And would you show me what that is? And would you show me what one step in that direction looks like? And there's a lot of serve stuff happening out here in the lobby. 
We don't ask people to serve because we need more volunteers. We ask people to serve because it's often when we serve, we get to experience the purpose that Jesus has placed on our lives. And what if throughout 2023, we got to see stories of redemption that didn't end with us, where we saw that our, our, our testimony didn't end at our baptism. It began there. What if we saw a year we saw anchors cut and anchors cut and people experiencing freedom who never knew that the gospel of Jesus was also for them? The reality is there's beauty heading our way this year. And there's pain heading our way this year. When the fire of pain burns away everything else, what's going to be left? I hope it's our purpose. And if I find myself in a situation where a doctor says, how are you able to do this? I want my answer to be Jesus. Everything else is details. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna sing and maybe we spend this next few, few moments together asking Jesus, would you remind me not of the positions that I hold, the circumstances that I'm walking through or the titles that I might achieve. Maybe we spend these next few minutes saying, Jesus, would you remind me of the purpose that you gave me and show me what it looks like to take another step in that direction. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you are still in the business of pulling up anchors and bringing about freedom. Jesus, thank you that you don't ask us to ignore the pain, but you remind us of who you are in the valley. God, may we be a community who work hard to fulfill our positions well, to handle circumstances with grace, to use our titles with integrity, but Jesus, may it be all under the banner of the purpose that you gave us. Jesus, thank you that you have not only set us free, but that you've set us abundantly free to participate in your long range plan of the redemption of the world. And thank you that our purpose can be found in you. So Jesus, we offer ourselves, we offer this year to you and say, would your will be done above all things? Jesus, thank you that you're our savior. Thank you that you are our Lord, that you're our friend and our father. We bless your name and we ask you to move. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Would you stand?